0: Right. So every year, obviously, um, around this time, around the, the whole Christmas season, there is a revival of the question of who upon you. Peace be upon Peace be upon him was theologically and. Peace be upon every once in a while you'll start to see some of the debates that rise about whether or not it is appropriate to say that Jesus السلام, Isa islam was a palestinian and so you'll you'll often hear especially in the last few weeks and in these last two weeks in particular okay you'll often hear the question so those that are controlling the mic control yeah. I think it's on but yeah we'll raise the volume You'll often hear the question, um, you know, was Jesus a Palestinian? Really focused within this political framework of what does that mean in the current day uh, occupation? And is it appropriate to say Jesus was a Palestinian refugee? Or you'll often hear pastors that will say Jesus was a Palestinian Jew. How do you make that claim? And so I wanted to actually sit with this question uh, for a few minutes tonight, inshallah ta'ala, and address the question But from a holistic perspective and what this debate actually entails and why it's important for us to actually speak about it beyond the semantics of it and beyond simply the discourse of is he this or is he that and what he would represent today in our context. So first and foremost, was Jesus a Palestinian? The first question that we have to ask that in the context of is actually in the context of circumstance. And this has been a very powerful display, particularly by the forgotten Christians of Palestine. Some of you might have seen the speech of uh, Reverend Mundur Ishaq, uh, Mitri Rahib, who's actually a friend of mine from the Lutheran Church in Bethlehem, who I actually spoke to and I told him that I'd like to interview him about their situation in Beit in Bethlehem, and why Palestinian Christians have canceled uh, Christmas. And it starts off with the idea of circumstance and I want to start from that place because this is where you're starting to see these powerful portrayals and these powerful discussions of what they call Isa Alayhi Salaam or Jesus in the rubble, right? That if Isa Alayhi Salaam was born today, he would be born under the rubble of the Israeli regime's airstrikes and his mother Maryam would not be able to find proper care and he would be subjected to much of what we are seeing the mothers of Palestine today and the children, the babies of Palestine today, subjected to. And this is a powerful point to seize upon, especially when you think about the growing anti Palestinian sentiment, the growing anti refugee sentiment. You know, one of my favorite t shirts uh, to see is Abraham was a refugee, Ibrahim Aleyhislam was a refugee. Musa was a refugee, Moses was a refugee, Isa, Jesus was a refugee, Muhammad was a refugee. And so it's a powerful way to connect with the Prophets of Allah in the discourse that we see today where you you see interestingly enough and ironically enough and sadly enough that those who claim to be the followers and the upholders of the scripture of the Bible today are most prominently featuring the anti-refugee and anti-Palestinian bills that we find in Congress in the name of, ironically, defending Israel in the Bible, because that's what they feel like the Bible calls them to. And even, by the way, here in Dallas, uh, Pastor Freddie Haynes and his church, Friendship West, has this huge display of Jesus in the rubble that was put together um, by activists like Sarah Mokuria and others, where they show this, this baby Jesus trapped under the rubble in Palestine and what that would represent. And I want you to think about this in an even deeper way. If you look at the time of Isa himself, when Herod ruled the client kingdom that Jesus, peace be upon him, that Isa was born into. And at the age of two years old, Isa and his mother, Maryam flee to Egypt. I want you to think about this for a moment and think about how powerful this connection is. The fleeing of Mary and Jesus when he was two years old, was because of what was called the massacre of the innocents, which was the classical, the traditional equivalent of the modern day mowing the lawn. You know when the Israeli government says they need to mow the lawn in Gaza, that's their policy in Gaza, mow the lawn. This was their equivalent of mowing the lawn, massacring all the children so that no child would rise up against the kingdom. And I want you to think about where mother, Maryam and the child Isa, the child Jesus, flee to. Where do they flee to? Egypt. And today, when you think about the gateway from Palestine to Egypt, where would that be through? Through Gaza. Think about the irony and the powerful connection of the mother, Maryam, carrying her baby, her two-year-old baby, fleeing a genocide, literally, from north to south, going to Egypt through Gaza. Think about the checkpoints that exist today that Palestinians are subjected to on a regular basis even before this genocide that we see happening now. And imagine Maryam sneaking away with her two-year-old son, Isa trying to make her way to, uh, to Egypt to escape the genocide. And by the way, Gaza is actually mentioned in the Bible as one of the oldest cities in the world, it's mentioned. In, uh, in in Genesis, it's mentioned in Joshua, and so you have the mother of Isa and Isa fleeing from Bethlehem, Northern Palestine, through Gaza to get to Egypt, and there is nothing that captures us more than that right now when we think about the painful, the painful display of innocent mothers and innocent children that are being massacred in Palestine right now, that are being massacred in Palestine right now, massacred in Gaza. And don't forget that today in that Gaza Strip, which is a small part of what used to be a much larger Gaza. In that Gaza Strip in the south of Palestine, many of those that were living there already, in fact, the majority were refugees from other parts of Palestine that were ethnically cleansed so that they got there. And so when you make the argument that Jesus was a Palestinian, you start from that place of circumstance, that there is no place and there is no portrayal that is more emblematic of the current struggle, the current plight of the Palestinian mother and the Palestinian child than Maryam, peace be upon her, alayhis salam, and Isa, alayhis fleeing from Bethlehem to get through uh, Gaza to try to go to Egypt or escape the circumstances of the genocide. Something else, subhanAllah, that you can think about. You know, the, the things we're not thinking about with the casualty count today in Gaza. Can you imagine a mother trying to give birth right now in Gaza? Can you imagine a a pregnancy with complications in Gaza right now? Can you imagine not having the proper tools to carry out a a, a delivery or especially, you know, a a C-section and a complicated delivery right now for a mother in Gaza? Can you imagine a mother in Gaza delivering her child literally in the ruins next to the dead body of her husband? These are things that are happening. Can you imagine a mother that's been hit by an airstrike and that's missing some of her limbs and that forces labor for her? Can you imagine a mother who has been hit by an airstrike or that is in the midst of an airstrike and the trauma of that induces her labor and she doesn't even have access to water or food. SubhanAllah, when we look at Maryam, the gift that Allah gave to her when she went out to deliver Isa السلام, under the tree, right of the dates and of the water, not even having access to clean water, not even having access to a few dates. There is a deep connection there that we have to draw as we're pondering upon the lives of the Prophets because there's nothing that represents that more than when we look at Maryam السلام, in this regard. And I, you know, I, I wanted you to take a look at this image. This was a news report, by the way. You can read the news report. The Gaza grandmother scared of loving baby Maryam for fear of losing her too. The baby in that incubator is named Maryam. And every single member of her family has been obliterated, except for her grandma. If you think about the literal babies that are in the incubators and living in the fire in Gaza right now, how many of them are named Maryam? How many of them are literally named Isa? How many of them are named Yusuf, Joseph? How many of them literally carry their names as they undergo this massacre that we see right now? What's very interesting is that while Palestinian Christians are ignored, you know, one of the things I was talking to a friend who works at Al Jazeera, and he was saying it's really interesting because about six to eight months ago, you'll start to see that there were a lot of news articles that were suddenly making their way into mainstream outlets about how Christian tourists in Jerusalem were starting to get attacked by extremist settlers. Christian tourists, Western tourists. So you ignore Palestinian Christians and their existence altogether. Christian tourists from the West were starting to complain about being spit on and attacked within Jerusalem by the extremist settlers that were, uh, that were showing their open hostility towards them for being Christians, right? Palestinian Christians don't matter, of course, but Western Christians starting to be attacked for being Christian was a big issue because it shatters this attachment that people have to a political ethno-state over literally what is supposed to be their religious religious tie, their religious claim to that land and to the people of that land. So that's the first thing you start with, is the idea of Isa and Maryam by circumstance, born in that land, living in that land. Let's forget all of the names right now. Let's pretend that it wasn't called anything. Let's pretend that there is no lineage in that same place for the same type of genocide to be carrying out. And for the same type of circumstances to be lived is absolutely emblematic and for us to speak about and a powerful point to resonate with the public as they can connect to uh, that story. If it is a connection by belief. So the first connection is by circumstance. The second connection is by belief. And you might have seen, by the way, you know, uh, Israel's actual Twitter account because this is what they have time to do with their propaganda while they're also massacring um, over a hundred babies a day. Israel's actual Twitter account puts out a video, supposedly a drawing of, of, of Isa alayhi salam, expressing confusion at being called a Palestinian, and how could I be, and then they called me a Muslim too? Like wow, they called me a Palestinian, and they called me a Muslim too? Dirty propaganda, simplistic, reductionist, but it resonates. So of course, we also come at this first and foremost from the, pl- the place of belief. When we start to attach our timeless attachment to the Prophets of Allah, the word Muslim, of course, as any Muslim would say, means someone who submits to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who has submitted to Allah, all of the Prophets were Muslims in their submission to God. And that's why we call all of the Prophets Muslims. But of course, that doesn't come across in a 30 second video uh, tweeted by a genocidal state. how do we connect ourselves by belief? And who claims Isa from a place of belief? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran that those who are closest to Abraham, peace be upon him, are those who actually follow him. When the Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, came to Medina and he saw the Jewish community fasting to honor. The victory of Musa, salam, the victory of Moses, peace be upon him, over the Pharaoh. What did he say? نَحْنُ أَوْلَى بِمُوسَى مِنْكُمْ You see the word? We are closer to Musa, we follow Musa, we love Musa, we too will fast this day. And when the Prophet Muhammad salam, spoke about Isa, salam, the same word is used. It's an authentic narration where the Messenger of Allah salam, said, أَنَا أَوْلَ النَّاسِ بْنِ مَرْيَمِ فِي I am the closest person in the world to Jesus, the son of Mary, in this life and in the next. They said, كيف ذلك يا رسول الله? How is that, O Messenger of Allah? He said, الأنبياء إخوة He said that the prophets are brothers that basically uh, come from uh, the same father but they have different mothers. Their religion is one. And he said, وَلَيْسَ بَيْنَنَا نَبِي And there is no prophet between me and my brother, Jesus, peace be upon him. And so Muslims feel this deep affection to Ibrahim to Abraham, to Moses, to Jesus. And it's an affection that's based upon belief. One of following the way of these prophets. And Allah is saying in the Quran to us, of course, and this is this shapes, the psyche of the Muslims. This is what connects you to a prophet. This is what connects you to a people. Now bring it back to the modern day, if you say Jesus is a Palestinian, so Christians and Muslims of the land, there currently, who claim Jesus, peace be upon him, in different ways. There's no doubt that the way that we believe in Isa is different from the way that Christians believe in Isa Islam. But the two religions that believe in Jesus, peace be upon him, in some capacity, both of them happen to be Palestinians that live in the same land. Both of those populations happen to be native Palestinian populations. Of course, the Palestinian Christian population is about 10% of Palestinians as a whole. They make up about 20% of Bethlehem, about 30% of Nazareth. And subhanAllah, that rich history between the two communities, Palestinian Muslims and Palestinian Christians, it goes back deep. It goes back deep what we celebrate when we talk about Sayyidina Umar, Umar bin al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu entering into Jerusalem. And when he goes to Jerusalem and not only upholds the sanctity of places of worship, resettles 50 Jewish families into Jerusalem that had been expelled. And when he is offered to pray in the holiest site in Christianity, because they talk about Muslims and they say that Muslims have this bloodthirst and they always have this secret agenda. To demolish everything, right? Umar bin Khattab, who's a more dominant figure in Islamic history than Umar bin Khattab, is offered by the Christians in Jerusalem to pray in the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. What is the Holy Sepulcher? It's the place that Christians believe that Jesus was crucified. It's the place where they have the empty tomb of Jesus. It doesn't get more than that. And the time of Dhuhr comes in, and the patriarch says to him. Go ahead and pray here. It'll be a sign of our togetherness. Omar says, no, no, if I pray here, then Muslims will come later on and say, Omar prayed here. They're going to get rid of your church and put a masjid in its place. Look at the foresight. And if you can put up a picture of the Holy Sepulcher, uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. So this is the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. Omar takes a few steps out and he goes to another place and he prays. And that is, of course, you can put up the next slide. Masjid Omar. Today, the place that he prayed outside of the church and SubhanAllah written on the mihrab, kullama alayha almihrab risqa, The ayat, the verses of Zakaria Alayhi salam entering upon Maryam Alayhi salam, and finding the sustenance that was provided to her through divine means. So that's the first thing that we take. The second thing, which is actually really uh, profound Uh, as well is that when Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu obviously restores what he restores, settles historic communities there in Jerusalem and establishes Islam in the way that he established it so beautifully, we know that the next transition is going to come through the Crusaders, who didn't just destroy everything that was holy to Muslims, but destroyed everything that was holy to churches that didn't belong to their denomination of Christianity and destroyed everything that was holy to Jews as well. So they massacred Muslims, Jews, and Christians that didn't belong to their denomination. When Salahuddin al al ayyubi rahimahullah, restores Jerusalem after everything that was done to the Muslims, and we claim that history beautifully, a century of being mistreated in the most cruel ways by the Crusaders who did it in the name of Christianity. What does Salahuddin do? Not only does he restore Al-Aqsa, he restores the sites of the Christians, and SubhanAllah, he appoints a family. This shows you how Muslims treated this land. He appoints a family to handle the keys of the Holy Sepulchre. And this was something that the Christian denominations wanted because that way they don't have to fight over the keys. Right? So if you have a Muslim, he's a neutral arbiter, Until today, I want you to look up Adib Judah, who actually holds the keys to that church. 850 years, that key has transferred from Muslim family to Muslim family. They wake up every morning, and they open the church for the Christians. That's not the story of Palestine that's being told to the American public. That's not the story of Palestine that Christians, Christian Zionists and evangelical Christians share in their churches about the history of Islam and the history of Palestine when it comes to uh, upholding uh, the sanctity of that place. And of course, when we talk about Isa, salam, particularly Jesus, peace be upon him, something very beautiful. If you look at the Dome of the Rock, what is inscribed on it of the inscriptions on the Dome of the Rock is the actual birth story of Isa alayhi salam, when his mother, Maryam alayhi salam, uh, gave birth to him, carried him when he spoke from the cradle, when he affirmed his prophethood and when he affirmed that he was not a begotten son of Allah, but rather the continuation of the lineage of the prophets before. So there's circumstance, there's creed, there is the, the, the story of two Palestinian communities, or the Muslim and the Christian communities both being Palestinians that have lived in that land for centuries, that have upheld their traditions without interruption, both being Palestinian once again. But then some would say, well, is the land based upon authority or is the claimant based upon who has ruled that land for the longest? Now, if you look at Jerusalem in particular, uh, for for good reason, it's one of the most fought over cities in history, right? And it has changed rule over 25 times in history where different empires have ruled uh, Jerusalem and by extension, the land of Palestine, or most of the land of Palestine. If you were to base it on period of rule, who has the right to that land or who gets to claim that land in their name? Who makes that decision? The Byzantines, Christian Byzantines who ruled it for over 300 years? Or is it the pre-Constantine Romans ruled it for 250 years? Or is it the Jews who ruled ruled it for 205 years or so, just a little over 200 years? Or is it the Muslims who ruled it for over a thousand years between the different empires? The longest empire being the Ottomans who ruled it for 400 years. So no, no group has ruled Jerusalem longer than the Ottomans. Or do you go before that, and do you go to the Canaanites and the Egyptians who ruled it for almost 4,000 years? Right. Who gets to make the call that they have the right to that land based upon length of authority, length of rulership. And so this is one way that you also uh, have to carry the debate in an intelligent and historical way. Who gets to call it what they call it, because it's changed names based upon who ruled it multiple times. Who gets to claim it in that way from a political perspective. And so again, if if it's about the Muslims, then or it's about how long it was ruled for, then we should just agree that Jerusalem should be Uthmani and we'll be fine, right? (laughs) Who gets to claim the land on that basis? And the last one, of course, is based upon lineage. And this is where uh, you have, of course, the most uh, mental uh, gymnastics that are used and historical revisionism to say that Isa was literally an Israeli jesus peace be upon him was israeli that the israel of the bible is the israel of today let's unravel this uh, for a few moments the current palestinian population is made up of a people that have resided in that land for a total of about 1200 years and that's not even including what predates them in terms of the DNA and the genetics that were encompassed in their existence. There are literally families that have lived in that land for over a thousand years, right? That make up a rich, diverse lineage of that which comes before them. Now, if someone were to say, well, what about Bani Israel? Do we not acknowledge that Isa that Jesus peace be upon him was an Israelite, that he was from Bani Israel? Therefore, are we denying that connection? Absolutely not. We absolutely do affirm Bani Israel's existence. And we affirm that there were righteous people from Bani Israel. And of course the most righteous of Bani Israel were the prophets of Bani Israel. And Isa was of course from Bani Israel in that sense. No one is denying that. But here's where it gets very interesting and where it's important for you to be able to say what needs to be said without fearing being called an anti-Semite who's supposedly trying to deny someone else's connection to that land. Bani Israel, or Israel, is not the same as a European colonial project that is less than 100 years old called Israel. This is historical, this is based in fact, not based in fiction or imagination, or someone's religious text. When it says Israel or Bani Israel in the Bible, you cannot make the claim that this is the same thing as what we say today, because what that effectively does, and this is why it's important for us to not fault victim to their frameworks, like anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. When you affirm them being the same thing, you effectively turn the indigenous population into the Amalik, the, the Amaleks, which is what Benjamin Netanyahu you know, quotes when he talks about the ethnic cleansing of Palestinians from their land. If you make them one and the same, you turn everybody else, the indigenous people of that land into the Amalek, the Amaleks, whose men, women, children, and even riding animals are subjected to death. And that is exactly what we are seeing happening right now. Right? So that religious extremism is actually taking shape right in front of our eyes, not from the mouth of a rabbi in Jerusalem, from the mouth of the prime minister himself, right? Who is carrying out a genocide by making that false equivalency. Here's where it gets even more interesting when you talk about the natives of that land and the concept of lineage, Bani Israel. Do those who were settled in Israel today, are they the descendants of Bani Israel? If they were to do DNA tests on the people that were settled, the Jewish communities that were settled in the land of Israel established in 1948. Are they the descendants of Bani Israel? Is a guy from Wiley, Texas, and this is, I'm actually talking about something serious by the way, a guy from Wiley, Texas in the name of birthright who can board a plane in the United States and go occupy a historical home that has been with the Palestinian family for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Is that guy from Wiley, Texas, or Brooklyn, New York, who's as, as, as pale and un-Jesus looking as they come, right? Is that guy a descendant of Bani Israel? Is that guy someone who gets to say this is my land and I'm a, I'm a descendant because I claim that lineage or I claim that religious belief? Not only is it ahistorical, but very interesting if you uh, read, there was an article <laughs> Uh, that was written by uh, an Israeli historian, Shlomo Sand, in 2008, uh, which is called Israel Deliberately Forgets Its History. And he talks about how the Bible is not a historical text. You can't use it as a book of history. That's number one. And that there is serious historical doubt on the Jewish exile of 70 AD and that many of the Jews of Europe were created by conversion. And actually, and this is where it gets very interesting... The palestinians who, who who are the the natives of that land who have lived there for over a millennium families and families and families and families that many of them would have some ascendancy to some lineage that traces back to Beni israel because if you look at even the words of the first israeli prime minister himself david ben-gurion he was someone who actually originally uh, verbalized the belief that Palestinian Jews never left that land and many of those who are Palestinians today are the descendants of people, historical Jewish communities that would have converted to Islam later on and had children, had children, had children, had children so there would be a greater chance in terms of the lineage of historical Palestinian communities tracing back to some from Bani Israel that continued to remain in that land than making this connection to to, to random people in Brooklyn, New York, or Wiley, Texas, or whatever it may be, right, that get to go and claim the historical hands, uh, the the historical lands and the historical homes of people. You'll also see, by the way, and I'll I'll end with this, and it's significant because when you read history books prior to the establishment uh, of the state of Israel as it is today, you'll often hear or you'll often read Historians write the words first century Palestine. You will see historians talk about Palestinian Judaism to distinguish it from uh, Judaism in diaspora. And that, of course, will refer to the 2% of the population that that was a historic Jewish community that was there before the state of Israel was established. They were not persecuted by the Palestinians. Jews were, of course, persecuted in Europe. And the Zionist project is an inherently secular Project that was imposed on the Palestinian people and removed their connection to their land, removed their connection to their holy sites, and so much more. What do I want us to take back in conclusion here? When people try to deny our connection to our holy sites, to our prophets, and they make it sound ridiculous for you to say something as simple and historical as Jesus, a Palestinian. Right? You need to know how to push back on that. And you need to be able to challenge it by circumstance, by creed, by history. That if anyone, if there is any label that could be given to Isa Alayhi Salaam outside of a creedal title, then it would be that Jesus peace be upon him was a Palestinian, that Isa Islam was a Palestinian. That doesn't mean he carried a hawiyah from Palestine. That means that do not dare associate Jesus, peace be upon him, or any of the noble prophets, including Ya'qub, alayhi salam, Israel, with Israel of today that carries out the murder of young Palestinian children named Ya'qub, named Yusuf, named Isa, and is actively carrying out a genocide with support, unfortunately, uh, from our government and funded, you know, in, in many ways by Christian Zionists even who have ignored uh, deliberately the existence of historical Palestinian communities. We ask Allah to be with our brothers and sisters that are oppressed in Palestine and all over, to be with the refugees wherever they are that resemble the prophets who, for the most part, were refugees. And we ask Allah to be with the Maryams and the Isas and the Ibrahims and the Musas and all of them that are under the rubble in Palestine, that are under the rubble due to the airstrikes, that are being starved off, that are living some of their most difficult days. May Allah give them. An eternity of joy in Al-Firdaus Al-A'la and grant them Shahada and grant them victory. Allahumma Ameen. Jazakum Allah wa khayra wa salaamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.